Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, welcome back. It's the World Soccer Talk podcast, the only podcast that focuses on watching soccer on TV, online, and apps. In episode 97, we discuss El Clasico getting its lowest rating in years, our thoughts about the European Super League and what it would do for the TV industry, has Turner Sports turned a corner with their Champions League coverage, Netflix scores a new soccer documentary, and we have a bunch of letters from you, the listeners, in our mailbag section. My name is Christopher Harris, a.k.a. The Gaffer, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Kartik Krishnayar. Now, Kartik, I know uh, in terms of your your regular work week, um, usually it's like probably 90% soccer and then 10% politics. Uh, This past week with the midterm elections, if I had a guess, it's probably like 80% politics and 20% soccer. are you still alive and still uh, kicking after after this uh, this week? Yeah, it's been about 80, 85% politics and the rest being soccer. Yes, but unfortunately, the soccer part got infringed by uh, blame SI for the Sports Interactive, the release of Football Manager, uh, which, by the way, the Football Manager game this year is um, more detailed. There are more bells and whistles in it. Um, it's... It takes a little bit of getting used to, uh, but uh, experienced football manager players will probably um, are probably right now just geeking out on it so as I speak. Right. Um, and, and I still haven't gotten really the chance to geek out on it because of the uh, election. But football manager uh, 2019 is out and that cut into my soccer time. Understandably so, Kartik. I'm sure it's uh, once you get addicted to that game, it's uh, uh, nonstop. So, in fact, I, I should just point this out. I don't get much sleep in the days leading up to an election, and definitely not election night, because the day after the election, be, because for the for the listeners' consumption, I'm a Democrat in Florida, and the Democrats always lose close elections in Florida. My I was busier Wednesday than I had been. Uh, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, even busier than Election Day. Football manager as the release from election stuff um, actually was a bad thing for me this Election Day because uh, I'm getting very little sleep as it as it stands. And football manager is so addictive that what would be three or four hours of sleep, which isn't good enough anyway, became one or two hours. Thank you, Sports Interactive. Yeah, the timing was uh, not good at all. (laughs) It's probably the worst possible timing. Yeah, usually Football Manager um, is released November, late November, right? Yeah, early. Right. Yeah, so it was earlier this year, and that uh, that messed me up. 
Yep, well, not me. I, I, I didn't uh, get FM19, so I, I watched a ton of soccer this past week. Uh, out of all the games I saw, if I had to pick out my favourite, um, it's, actually, it's actually a draw. It would have been between Wolves and Spurs, which, which was an absolutely sensational second half. Uh, really, Wolves put Spurs to the test, and it, and it ended up being a 3-2 win for uh, Spurs. But it could, could have easily been a, a 3-3 tie or a 4-3 win for Wolves. They had chances. They had one goal that should have been uh, allowed, that was disallowed. Uh, just a really great performance by Wolverhampton Wanderers uh, in front of a really passionate home support, as always, at the Molyneux. The, the second game, which was the tie for the best game of the week for me, was uh, Ibar against Alaves in the, the Basque derby. And this was a game that was played on Sunday morning. I think it was like a 6.30 kickoff. Um, it was one that was on Being Sports Connect. I don't think it was even on Being Sports, um, the, the actual TV channel. And I watched it. It was a great atmosphere. It's a small ground. Um, but the quality of football was uh, incredible. Just really good football. Playing the ball on the ground, beautiful passing, just a back and forth, really competitive uh, match. And um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Just kind of the best of uh, La Liga there in with two teams that, that normally you wouldn't expect it to be such a good game. But just the quality of football was, was good indeed. Kartik, I know you've been busy and I, I know uh, you didn't get the chance to watch a lot of soccer from this past week. Was there anything that stood out? Um, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a game if it was any uh, kind of... I don't know, uh, highlights or, or uh, analysis. We're two, two pieces, two games, actually. Um, a tie. The second half of the, um, of the uh, uh, Freiburg match at uh, the Allianz against Bayern. I thought uh, Bayern looked very poor in the first half. Second half, uh, they opened up a little bit. Uh, Serge Gnabry got a goal. Uh, they were passing the ball well, quicker passing. But Freiburg was very good for much of this match and got a late equalizer. So I thought that was a pretty exciting match. And then I would agree with you on the Wolves' uh, the Wolves-Spurs match. The thing about this match that was so complicated for me was uh, Spurs playing on the break versus uh, a team that has uh, what you would think would be kind of superior personnel being able to ma- uh, to manage the match differently. They jumped out to a 3-0 lead, but much of that was on the counterattack, taking advantage of um, of, of mental lapses from Wolves. Um, Wolves continue to be the, the one side in England abs- uh, outside of Man City and uh, – Chelsea now with Jorginho and the team and Hazard playing in a in a freer role that make you want to watch the Premier League. Uh, uh, La Liga, you mentioned the Ibar match. You, you mentioned uh, the Basque Derby. I, I have to say, you watch any La Liga match, and I again, it's personal preferences, Chris. And there's a legion of Premier League fans who's going who are going to come out and lynch me after the statement. But you watch any La Liga match, any La Liga match, any random La Liga match, and the quality of actual passing. Football and technical football is higher than any Premier League match, unless it's Manchester City playing Chelsea or Wolves playing Chelsea. I mean, there's only three or four teams in the Premier League that can play at that level technically. Now, we know there's uh, maybe greater pace and, and greater, uh, 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 you know, more uh, dynamic pressing and that sort of stuff in the Premier League, which makes it more exciting. But I, I just think I didn't watch that match. Uh, the derby you, you refer to, but I've watched enough La Liga this season to see that the the gap, which I think had already opened up in the last few seasons between those two leagues, has just gotten bigger, in, in my opinion. Yeah, and the gap between La Liga and Major League Soccer is immense. Uh, Kartik, I, I don't it's know about... It's not even worth discussing. <laughs> well, <laughs> right. I, I'll, I'll mention it just because I, I don't watch a lot of Major League Soccer games. Uh, this past week, I did watch more than I usually do. I watched the DC United-Columbus game, which was 
a kickball game. It was it was a scrappy game. It was exciting from the point of view of it going down to penalty kicks and just you know was it going to be DC going through or was it going to be Columbus going through? So that excitement level was good. The actual football itself was was pretty poor. And then I watched um, NYCFC against Atlanta United. Uh, again, another important match in Major League Soccer. But still to this day, since day one, I, I've hated that pitch. But it, it's to me, it's not even a game of soccer. It's a completely different type of game. Both teams play differently on a pitch that's that small at Yankee Stadium. Uh, there's no width. So it is very much just, you mean, it, it, it's a completely different game. It's, like, it's kind of like playing 5v5 on a 5v5 pitch versus playing a full-size football. Uh, it's, it, and, and then also, too, you, you almost need to have, I don't know, seven aside on the Yankee uh, Yankees pitch to make it more watchable. Because when you have 11 players from both sides, 22 players crammed into the small pitch, to me, it's almost unwatchable. And, and again, it's a great win for Atlanta United in that first leg, and it's, it's a must, you know, it's a, an important match. But for me, as a viewer tuning in, I'm like completely turned off by this. And and maybe there were some better games in Major League Soccer in, in the in the playoffs, uh, MLS Cup playoffs, and the other matches. I didn't see them, but but for me, it wasn't a good look. Not really. It was really disappointing, and it was really disappointing coming after uh, the last few seasons of the MLS Cup playoffs, where you know we've criticized MLS during the course of the season, Chris, on this show, and then we get to the playoffs, and particularly this first this first weekend uh, and uh, and the midweek playing games in the first weekend and say, oh, my gosh, the players have raised their level because there's something on the line. And uh, the weather is a little cooler and crisper. There's better movement, better passing. Uh, I didn't see it. And I watched um, – I probably watched more Major League Soccer this week than any other league because, again, election got in the way and um, and, and uh, MLS, the timings of the games were, were more convenient for me. Um yeah, I, I just uh, I, I'm very disappointed by what I've seen in the playoffs. I think uh, uh, the Salt Lake Kansas City game was a little better than the uh, uh, than the others. That first leg of that that two two leg tie, but uh, Portland Seattle was uh, exciting, but a little bit underwhelming in terms of the quality of football. Given it was those two teams, and uh, Portland looks very different under Gio Savarese, a coach I know pretty well, than they did under Caleb Porter. Just the way they play, uh, so they're less entertaining from my standpoint. And then that uh, that Columbus DC match, I have to say, was a horrible disappointment for me. I mean, I, I just thought that that was going to be some really good football between um, two teams playing very well coming into the playoffs and two sides that are um, that are peaking at the right time. Um, and on a high between the Rooney Acosta high of DC United and the new stadium and Columbus keeping the team uh, in Columbus. But what we saw, Chris, was a situation where a one-off, like any one-off cup match, where there isn't a replay and you can play for penalties. Uh, this happens in international competitions, international tournaments. Uh, I, I just thought that there was a lot of sloppiness, a lot of uh, tactical a chicanery, if you want to call it that. So I, I wasn't impressed with MLS this weekend. I'm hoping uh, the coming weekend is better. I, I assume it will be because it's second legs and um, it's do or die for all eight uh, sides involved. And the fact that um, in that Atlanta, New York City FC tie that Atlanta has the lead uh, means that uh, New York City FC has to go away from home and go go uh, go after it. Um, and then I think it's the same thing uh, even in the other ties in terms of just uh, them being tightly edged and 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 the team that's on the, uh, away from home not being able to sit in bunker, with the possible yeah. exception, obviously, of uh, of Columbus, who did not give away uh, a, a goal to Red Bull. 
Yeah, and we saw earlier this season too. It was a really good game between NYCFC and Atlanta United in Atlanta. So hopefully the second leg will live up to that. Now, Kartik, of course, we've got the Champions League. We had the Champions League this week. Turner Sports returning to the coverage of the league as well as, of course, Univision. And for me... In, in two and a half months of uh, Turner producing the Champions League, uh, they've been able to, uh, to improve their coverage uh, to a point that it's, it's better than anything that Fox has done over the last six years when they had the rights. It's not perfect. Um, there were a couple of fumbles and uh, a couple of m- other mistakes, but it's massively improved. And at the end of the day, it's watchable. The actual pregame coverage, postgame coverage, halftime is very short. But it's watchable, which is a lot more I can say, uh, that I can say about uh, Fox's coverage. Having said that, yeah. having said that, though, Kartik, let me just uh, just chime in with one more thing. If there was ever a golden opportunity to go ahead and do a post-match uh, interview with a manager after a game, it was on Wednesday with with Jose Mourinho, <laughs> and they didn't do it. They instead they had post-match they did the regular thing, but just too much talk, and they went to at the end. I don't know if you saw it. They played Golf Clash. Uh, in the studio and to promote their upcoming uh, golf uh, thing they've got c- c- coming up on Bleacher Report Live. But to me, it's, like, it's valuable time. Play the damn post-match interview with Jose. So I, I had to go ahead and tweet it out last night for everyone that missed it. I said, okay, here it is. For those of you who watched TNT and didn't see the interview, the post-match, and it was pretty good, here it is. Kartik, go ahead with uh, what you want to say. I'm sorry. Yeah, so I think... In terms of uh, pregame show, now I'll, I'll concede Wednesday my phone was ringing off the hook, angry Democrats in Florida uh, complimenting me on my critiques of, of the party and the party's failures again in this election. Uh, so I didn't see the pregame show. I didn't see much of uh, uh, the, the action until later in the afternoon. I did see Manchester United's two goals, uh, which for our former co-host of this show, Nipun Chopra, Maro and Fellaini, he is the greatest of all time. Uh, just <laughs> point that out for Napoon since he's so anti-Fellaini. Um, anyway, um, I thought on Tuesday, and it was a great diversion for me because I was getting election coverage and, and updating my, my, my uh, running uh, commentary on the election on, on my website, uh, political website, during the day. It was such a great diversion at noon. And I have to tell you, yes, they don't do the pregame. And I know this is a bugaboo of yours. They don't do the pregame stand-ups with the coaches or with the players. Uh, they don't show the bus pulling in like Fox used to do, which I thought was a lot of filler for Fox mm-hmm. to, to work around not actually analyzing the matches and, and you know, using their pregame shows to promote Major League Soccer and U.S. Soccer. I, I actually thought Tuesday, the, the analysis and the buildup for um, – Tuesday's matches was pretty good yep. in that pregame show. And is uh, I, I would agree. I mean, uh, it might seem like a hyperbolic statement, what you said a few minutes ago and what, what I'm going to repeat here, but I think it's better than anything Fox produced in, in um, eight years of covering the Champions League in terms of just uh, focusing on the Champions League itself. Um, I know you a could lot tell, of people... You, 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 you could tell on the Tuesday one that they did, they did their homework. So I think they had a yeah, segment yeah. on uh, uh, Kubayi, the, 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 the Napoli defender. And so Tim Howard has some good points about uh, defenders in Serie A and, and how it's different then. And, and it, Mo, Mo was much improved. I think Carlos Bocanegra was better. Uh, I think everyone was better. They came in with some good analysis. And I thought, okay, this is good. This is good stuff. This is the type of coverage that we would expect to see on NBC at uh, SN. It was that good. And I, I thought uh, also the, 
the tactical board uh, with uh, Stuart Holden and Steve Nash, um, kind of a halftime and pre-game and post-game, kind of an a- uh, analyzing that in terms of positions. That was good. But why did it take four weeks to get that? Uh, I mean, that was really good. Yeah. I agree. Why did it take four weeks for that? Yeah, well, you, you'll have to ask uh, Turner next time uh, you interview them. I, th- I think, I think you, you're probably going to interview them in, in a couple of weeks, but that'll be a good question for them to say, hey, I mean, why, why so late on, on this one? Uh, Let me point out one thing real quickly. So I got a lot of criticism because in reaction to this pregame show, even though every other tweet I think I had on Tuesday was uh, was political, was was election-related, the one tweet I had soccer-related was, hey, look, Turner's, Turner's – ahead of Fox now, and Fox used uh, the pregame show for propaganda purposes. I had a lot of blowback on that. Now, let me just point out once again, my critique is that they used Champions League, where most of the viewers who were tuning were interested in Champions League. Yes, you can say they're Americans and they're soccer fans, but they were interested in Champions League and European football. They used that pregame show to, uh, to try and force feed Major League Soccer and the U.S. men's national team or any U.S. men's national team related storyline down the throats of European football fans. Now, I, I can see why they did it given that that property to them in their mind is more valuable and they, they're, they're into kind of nationalism and Americanizing, um, Americanizing everything. But I think for the actual consumer of the Champions League uh, of European football, they're much happier with Turner's approach, even if they don't necessarily uh, love the voices involved, that they're not being told uh, uh, this guy's going to move from this major league soccer team to that major league soccer team. So that's, yeah. that's what I meant by it. It wasn't um, a, a statement about production or a statement about um, – you know, all uh, Americanism. It was it was a statement about just that that, that very uh, tenor of Fox. Yeah, and it, and it wasn't just U.S. Men's National Team or or Major League Soccer. Kartik. It, it was USSF. It was USSF. Uh, basically, I mean, Grant Wall being fed stories and and regurgitating them on on Fox's news and pushing a narrative. And 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 that that that's what the issue. I mean, we've talked about this for the past twelve months. That's what the issue was. Which. Uh, Turner Sports, I mean, it's all focused on, on the analysis, especially for the pregame. So that's what it should be. The other thing about Fox is that one of the reasons they did it was to, uh, was also because of the uh, the viewing audience. They knew that there were a lot more people tuning in to watch uh, you mean, Champions League, whichever, on a Tuesday or Wednesday than there would be for a Major League Soccer game on, on a Sunday. So it's a bigger audience. More people are watching it. Uh, which is exactly the way that they used it to get their you mean get their information out there. Basically, basically propaganda. Uh, what I would say though, Kartik, was that um, with the pregame, I, I have no problems with uh, not showing pregame um, interviews with managers or players, just because it's very, very rare that they say anything interesting. Sometimes maybe Klopp or maybe Mourinho, as far as you mean, like a late. Uh, tactical change, or, or you mean Pogba not playing? Uh, that that could have a you mean be worthy of, of an actual kind of showing that interview uh, pregame. But for the most part, um, yeah, Tuesday and Wednesday, I thought the pregame was good, and I really enjoyed it. And I think they've come a long way. Uh, the other thing about Tuesdays too, that post match uh, they're doing a much better job of providing the highlights of the different games and the main talking points. So both Tuesday and Wednesday, I walked away thinking, okay, I, I knew exactly what happened today. Uh, the flow was much better. I mean, I, I, I walked away thinking, okay, I've, I've got a full Champions League uh, day uh, with all the highlights and goals and storylines. I know exactly what happened and walk away happy. Um, but, but so overall, really, really good. Actually, Kate Abdo too, Kartik, I'm not sure if you noticed this, is getting better uh, yeah, Tuesday, definitely. Wednesday. She was asking tougher questions, and which caught some of the analysts back by surprise. And I think Tim Howard once or twice uh, 
wasn't able to answer the question and, and Kate Abdo came back again and, and asked the question again. So I thought that was good. She was punchier. Uh, the analysts in return weren't, weren't as good, but they, they, hopefully that'll just take a little bit of time to get adjusted to that. Another question for Turner when, when uh, I interview them in a few weeks. Uh, it, it makes all the difference to have Tim, Tim Howard both days uh, of a match day. At why? Uh, and what are they going to do about next season? Uh, they have this package for three years at a minimum. Uh, we'll talk about Super League and all that later in the show. Uh, but uh, what, what are they going to have to do to get him every day? Uh, while he's still an active player, because I, I think there is an um, even when they were clunky the first few weeks, Chris, uh, there was a definite difference when he was in that studio and when he wasn't uh, a definite upgrade with him. And obviously he's he's a veteran, not only a veteran player and a great player, but uh, I think those reps he did with NBC while an active Premier League player uh, calling matches with Arlo White and Steve Bauer uh, from the gantry in, in England uh, really has helped him transition into this role uh, but not the days they don't have them have been the worst days that they've had on record in their coverage yeah and it might be chemistry i, I mean I, i'm not so i'm still not sold on his tactical analysis um he does offer some good points at times uh, from a, a personal point of view in terms of you mean the experience he's had in in certain instances. But chemistry-wise, it's good because chemistry-wise, they're they're more relaxed on the set. They're having fun. They're a little bit of banter back and forth, and they they seem more confident. And, and both Tuesday and Wednesday sh- showed that. Even Wednesday with the golf clash thing, which was really pretty stupid, um, it, it was still fun and watchable. Uh, although I was still saying to myself, where are the post-match interviews with, with the managers? Because even Stu Holden, after the, the Juventus-Man United game, he said on, on, on air, he says, what do you think Allegri is saying to his team after this breakdown? And I, and I, I said to myself, yeah, what is he saying? Let's see the post-match interview with Allegri to see if he said anything about that. I mean, did he explain what happened? I mean, was it a, a masterclass for Man United or was it just I mean, pure luck? Uh, whatever it is, it, it's something that Stu's asking, he's thinking about, and we are as the viewers too. So definitely a missed op- opportunity, but overall much, much improved. And, and actually we have uh, some feedback from one of our listeners. Let me pull it up right here. And that is um, from John Clee Charlton. And he says, uh, the BRTNT pregame show is much better. I really think they're, they're uh, listening to the pod and our, and our opinions of the coverage Excellent work, guys. Thank you for a great pod, as always. And, and that's for sure. I mean, we know from the interview we did uh, in the last episode, they are listening. And it's not just to you and me, Kartik. It's to the soccer fans, the hardcore soccer fans. And if they've definitely, this week, you can tell, made a huge push to really kind of focus on more the English language speaking fans and having, you mean, Univision do the Inter-Barcelona game and really focusing on trying to really kind of, I think, probably trying to grab that NBC SN audience and ride those coattails and trying to bring in some new viewers that way. It's working. I, I really think it's a, a big turnaround from what they were just, just like, what, a month ago. Yeah, and I think the other thing we're finding is that there are times now that they're showing different games than Univision. Uh, so they have made the commitment not only to the type of coverage that would appeal to NBC viewers, but also the teams. <laughs> it's, yeah, it, yeah. It, you're seeing English teams, basically. And um, Univision is committed to showing um, Spanish teams and PSV because of the Mexican influence. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm not sure if that is orchestrated. I mean, that could be something where they have a phone call with Univision and say, hey, right, we're taking this one. You take this one. 
I don't think so. I think it's more in terms of them saying, okay, hey, the Spanish language audience, they're going to gravitate towards Univision. So why try to, to beat them at their own game? Let's focus on the English language speaking audience and then hope that uh, we can pull some people in additional on our side too. So um, I, think, I think it's working. We'll have to wait and see on the TV ratings numbers to see if it's working that way. But uh, uh, in the column actually at com, we posted last week, numbers are up. Numbers are – the pregame coverage is up. I don't have the percentages in front of me, but up big time compared to Fox and the viewership on the UEFA Champions League games on uh, TNT are higher uh, than, for, than Fox for the group stage. So it's working. One more game, Kartik, I want to point out, and that was uh, on Friday I watched uh, Galatasaray against Fenerbahce from the Turkish Super League. Uh, it was actually a good game. It was a really entertaining game, ended up uh, 2-2. Uh, two things to point out from this one is... Um, at the end of the game, this is it, it was it was crazy, absolutely crazy. The, the referee blew the whistle, and all of a sudden, there's you mean a pitch invasion, but not by the fans. It's by the actual coaching staff, the substitutes, the players, and they were just like chasing each other around the pitch. Uh, they had uh, the police came out with riot gear. They were fighting. It, it was it was wild. I still don't know exactly what happened, but it was entertaining, to say the least. The game was good, too. Uh, the other thing was uh, Andreas uh, Cordero and George Metellus on the commentary. And while the commentary, they're good, they don't just have the same type of passion that we had when we had uh, Cordero and Matteo Bonetti. That partnership was really good as far as kind of Cordero being the straight guy and Bonetti being kind of more the, I mean, the wild and passionate and kind of the crazy i mean just really passionate uh, as as a co-commentator and george and uh, cordero are very kind of straight in terms of the way that they perform uh the, the way that they commentate so it was kind of it was missing the passion of a big big game like this one but but a good game to watch uh regardless yeah and, and i'm always when anytime i see galatasaray or front of or bashitas play i i noticed the passion from the fans yeah. chris and i also noticed that there are a bunch of players that we recognize names we recognize thinking oh that's where they are now yeah it was funny that game it was it was almost like a, a premier league uh, uh 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 well i don't know like like a kind of a what do you call it like a high school reunion it was like a, pre- a premier league reunion yeah. going down the list of players i'm like oh my gosh he's still playing and you know, names that we kn- we know i mean from the past from the past like decade play it now playing in uh Finibachi yeah with- and it's the same thing for the other leagues too it's a la liga reunion it's right. just like a reunion right <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's like the whole every player's name in that derby you recognize oh yeah definitely oh. so they're, they're good players they're a little bit older um and it's entertaining and the, and the fans are, are crazy so that, that's always a good watch all right, Kartik, let's move on to TV streaming news. Yeah, this is, um, this is an exciting uh, new documentary Netflix will be uh, releasing next month called In Stunderland Till I Die, which charts the fall of, a, of the team from the Premier League to League One, as well as the plight of former chairman Ellis Short, uh, the American who lost $250 million on the team. While the documentary isn't out yet, it's listed uh, on Netflix, so you can add it to my list, and you'll see it. Uh, appear when it's released real quickly on this chris when i was in london a few months ago there was a lot of talk about the, how good how interesting 
um, people around the game thought this documentary would be compared to Manchester City, which had just been released at that point, the, um, the Amazon documentary, and then the Netflix Juventus documentary, whose second season had just been released at that point. Because the thinking was that char- uh, following a successful club that wins trophies, while you get a, a sense of like Allegri's coaching methods and Guardiola's coaching methods and the brilliance of Sterling and the brilliance of, of, uh, of uh, Buffon and, and, and whoever else – it is more interesting to follow a club that is in a, is in a bit of a crisis and to get a peek behind the veil as to what happens there. So there's a lot of excitement about this documentary. And I have to go once again, go on record, Chris, and saying my favorite football documentary, the one documentary I make sure I watch every three or four months as someone who works in this sport is the QPR for your plan documentary, because it's the same sort of thing. This might even be better because I think we're going to get a deeper dive, a longer look. Um, at Sunderland in, in this documentary. So I'm really excited about this. Yeah, so it's, so it's called Sunderland Till I Die. I, I think it'll be interesting to see if they have any cameras on the inside. So from the outside, the, the person that's producing the film or directing the film is a Sunderland supporter. So I can definitely picture a lot of uh, interviews with some diehard Sunderland fans that have supported uh, the club through generations, talking about the demise of the club. Um, but whether or not we'll see some footage inside the club, that'll be interesting to see, just to kind of get a un- better understanding of how this this great club, I mean, it's still a great club, has, has fallen down to, to League One, which is uh, definitely a shame. Now, in terms of El Clasico, so October 28th uh, was the El Clasico between uh, Barcelona and Real Madrid. It averaged more than half a million viewers in the United States on BN Sports and BN Sports and Espanol. Uh, despite El Clasico not featuring uh, Messi and Ronaldo playing in the game for the first time in almost a decade, the match at the New Camp averaged 363,000 viewers on BN Sports and Espanol, as well as 181,000 viewers on the English language uh, TV channel for a combined average of 544,000 viewers, which is 35% uh, down from the same time last year. And... Uh, Depending on which way you look at this, Kartik, it's, it's either positive news or negative news. I mean, the negative news is this is, I mean, this is not good for La Liga. This is not good for being sports. Uh, it really, to me, the, the main issue is um, distribution, not being on yeah. TV, not being on TV now, not being on Comcast. Uh, the positive news, if you can take any positive news from this, is that the number is actually probably a little bit better than what we uh, anticipated. And especially with no Messi and no, no Ronaldo, Ronaldo going on to Serie A, Messi being injured, maybe it's not so bad. But at the end of the day, still, for the biggest game, biggest club game of the year, it's it's the I mean the dominant game. Uh, this 544,000 viewers is not good enough. And if I'm La Liga, I'm, I'm upset. Yep, I, I, I am too. I think it's a situation, Chris, where uh, they, they got to solve this before next season. Um, I, it's November now. I guess they're stuck. Uh, they have another year after that on their contract with BN Sport, but they got to find a way to either increase distribution or um, have BN Sport sub-license the bigger matches, which BN is not going to do willingly uh, or very, uh, very willingly because um, – I think the issue is they'll never get back on cable systems if they don't if they're not showing El Clasico. So yeah. it's a bad situation uh, for La Liga in, in this country. And uh, yeah, it's a it's a lose lose because because even yeah. with being sports, I mean, if being sports like like you said, that gives away 
some of the leverage that they have in terms of being the exclusive provider to La Liga. They're paying $120 million a year for the rights to La Liga to show it exclusively. Um, but the reality is, is this, I mean, at the end of the 2019-2020 season is going to be La Liga's last season on Being Sports. And the likelihood of La Liga renewing with Being Sports is practically zero. So at so the summer 2020, either Being Sports goes out of business in the United States uh, or decides to just, just um, you mean, downgrade and, and stop just showing some other leagues and just try to have massive layoffs and, and just get by, uh, La Liga is going to move on. La Liga is going to go to a much bigger channel with much bigger distribution. And you look at Bundesliga, the Bundesliga has much greater distribution than uh, La Liga does. And La Liga is a much better league than the Bundesliga. And when we've seen that from the TV ratings, even though that, um, I mean, Bundesliga is on Fox, on, on some big channels, and La Liga is on BN Sports, which now is in approximately about 10 million homes, so pretty small, is that uh, La Liga is getting bigger TV ratings than, than, Fo- than the Bundesliga is on Fox. So it's, it's, it's a lose-lose situation for both La Liga and BN Sports. And I, I, don't, I don't see them... I mean, hopefully they do sublicense the games, but it's almost it's going to just increase the. I mean, if I'm if I'm Dish Network, if or I'm Directv, and I'm thinking about, uh, I mean, or maybe it's another network, maybe it's another big big huge TV provider. I'm going to question whether or not it's worth actually continuing having being sports if they're going to lose La Liga in the summer of 2020 anyway. Like, why should we have them on the channel? If this once once La Liga goes, what, what is what, what is the left other than Liga and uh, the Turkish Super League? All right, Kartik. So talking of that, speaking of that, which kind of evolves into a couple of news uh, topics that do relate to that uh, to be in sports and the situation and, and the whole world of uh, European soccer, which got turned upside down uh, just after last week's podcast. Uh, I'll, I'll let you uh, uh, clue the viewers and uh, listeners into uh, the next news item. Yeah, so um, last week we talked about how FIFA said La Liga would be unable to feature the Girona-Barcelona match uh, in uh, Miami because of a FIFA statute. However, La Liga has responded, and they, they responded soon after we were off the air, stating that, quote, there is no jurisdiction for FIFA to approve or block the game. As a matter of fact, FIFA's own rules and regulations for international matches clearly state the approval process for all international games uh, and concludes that FIFA only needs to be informed after the local federations, in this case, the Spanish Federation and the U.S. Federation and regional confederations, uh, in this case, UEFA and CONCACAF, have been approved. Now, um, that is true. However, I um, think that this is this is a, a, a gray area because um, that statute applies to international matches between national teams. Um, uh, or, or at least was written with the thought of international matches between national teams yep. uh, and friendly matches, right? Non-competitive matches. This is a competitive match, first off, not a friendly, in a domestic uh, club league, club football league. So I think you can interpret it with that statute, and no doubt La Liga's attorneys have, have, have done that and done that well. But um, I'm, I'm saying my understanding is the, the statute as written by FIFA was written with something completely else in mind. This is an unprecedented event, an unprecedented challenge. Mm-hmm. So let's see how legally it, uh, it shakes out. 
And even if uh, what La Liga is, is saying is correct, I mean, if that say did pass the the test, for example, and, and that uh, FIFA has no say over whether, whether or not uh, they need to approve this, it's easier easier said than done because they're also saying that, that USSF and Concacaf have to approve it, which you know, Kartik, that they're not going to approve that. I mean, that opens up everything in terms of if they approve that, then all of a sudden you get other leagues coming into the United States, and that undermines Major League Soccer uh, in, in their viewpoints. So. It's going to be a legal mess, I think, Kartik. I think we're going to go to the courts on this one. And with the game being on January 26, um, there may not be time to actually get it approved in time. But we'll have to wait and see. So so speaking of the, the, the world being turned upside down with a lot of changes, late last week, Kartik, the, the revelations came out from uh, Der Spiegel uh, from, and Football Leaks, the, um, the, the site that uh, has been yeah, leaking yeah. Uh, documents. Uh, really, I mean, the main thing is the European Super League revelations that um, there's a, a binding agreement that uh, 11 clubs have signed uh, or actually have agreed to and they're about to sign in November 2018, uh, as well as five guest clubs that would be added. And uh, this would go ahead and replace the, the UEFA Champions League in 2021. Uh, it would also mean that uh, the clubs involved would uh, leave their respective domestic leagues. And so you have the likes of Real Madrid, Barcelona, Bayern Munich, Manchester City, Manchester United, Liverpool, etc. Uh, leaving the Premier League and Bundesliga and La Liga and leaving the UEFA Champions League and playing this European Super League. Um, and there was also some revelations about some of the abuse of the financial fair play system um, in this. My thoughts, Kartik, on this one, I, I want to get your thoughts too, is I do not like it. I, and I do not like it because it's all focused on the money. It's all focused on trying to take the money out of the pockets of UEFA and put them into the pockets of these, uh, really, these 11 uh, top super, super clubs in Europe uh, in a system with no promotion, no relegation, and uh, this is completely a move, really, to become the NFL. It's to become, which is, which is what I hate the most about the NFL, is that it's a closed system. It's a very predictable, boring, very, uh, it's a league that's made for television, really, at the end of the day. Right, right. right. And everything that's wrong with the NFL uh, is the same thing that's wrong with this European Super League idea. Uh, I just hate it. And I hope it yeah, does not happen. You can, right. You can't uh, assume that uh, every closed league is, it looks exactly the same. I mean, I would argue that Major League Baseball is more open than uh, the NFL is, for instance. It's not an open league, don't get me wrong, but that there's more, there's more openness in, in the way teams can market themselves, um, player contracts, that sort of thing. Um, this European Super League uh, concept, I, I have to say, it, 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 it's something I'm very much against. Uh, very uh, have the same ideological arguments that everyone else is making. I, I don't necessarily have to rehash them. I think most of the listeners agree with me. The one positive I can see in it, Chris, and this sounds horrible, is that maybe with these uh, elite clubs leaving domestic leagues, breaking off, creating their own closed league, their own closed structure, we don't have to worry about them anymore, and we will have good competitive football, open football, in the top domestic leagues in Europe. That's my one hope if this were actually to come to fruition. I can say, you know what? I don't even have to watch Bayern Munich ever again in my life. I don't have to watch Real Madrid uh, ever again in my life. I can watch Ibar. I can watch Deportivo Alaves. I can watch Sunderland. I can watch Wolves. I can watch uh, Freiburg and Darmstadt and see competitive football. 
Yeah. That- so, you know, I, I, be careful what you wish for if you're the big clubs, because I think there's a certain attraction of domestic competitive club football mm-hmm. to the majority of people who, who, who enjoy the ethos of this sport. Now, maybe front runners, maybe people who are just general sports fans around the globe are going to gravitate to the Super League, the consumers in Asia, the consumers, uh, the football consumers here in the United States. Uh, but I think that the domestic audiences in these European uh, countries are probably going to fall back in love with their domestic leagues if this happens. Yeah, there would be two different leagues, Kartik. In my estimation, there would be a TV league, which would be the European Super League, and then there would be a league that the fans would go to. The fans would really gravitate to and have a great community aspect of it and uh, maybe yeah. bring back some, some of the, I mean, the better days of, of football from the past where it, it did seem to be a, a closer connection between the fans and the players and, and the, the actual fans and the clubs. Uh, but 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 to me, this whole thing, I mean, from, from from a TV perspective, Kartik, this is this is one thing I went ahead and did. So I think uh, three or four days ago, I posted on Twitter, posted a poll, and I said, okay, you mean whether you're for or against the European Super League idea, would you watch it? Would you? Yes, would you watch it? Or no, would you watch? Wouldn't watch it? And it was fifty fifty. It was fifty percent that yeah. said yes, I would watch it. Regrettably, sometimes some of the people said, like, yeah, it's just I, I don't agree with it, but I would watch it. And then 50% said, no, I'm, I'm definitely not going to watch it. So that and that's not scientific by any yeah. means, but it gives you an idea of like, even though there's going to be a lot of people against it, people will watch it because it is the big clubs. And, and that's the thing, too. These big clubs have huge fan bases. If you're a fan of Manchester United, well, you're a fan of Manchester City. Would you stop watching Manchester City play your club that you've supported since the 1980s? Would you stop watching them if they played in this league? That's a great question. Maybe I would. I mean, uh, I uh, probably not. But I will say right now, and our fan base is a little different than that of these other big European clubs. Our supporters base at Manchester City, because of where we've come from and because kind of the ethos of the club prior to um, Sheikh Mansour's takeover, uh, has never been enthralled with European football the way that United's fan base is or Chelsea's fan base is, uh, the London clubs in particular, who, who, uh, and, and obviously the big clubs on the continent. Um, so I think it, it's riskier for City. Now, City to be in the money league and in the category they want to be in as a, essentially a billboard for Abu Dhabi would have to be part of the Super League. But I think City's fan base itself might be mo- much more divided on this than United's or Chelsea's or, Bayer, uh, or Bayern's or, or, or Madrid's. I think Bayern itself is probably pushing it because uh, as a club, they're being... They, they feel like they're being brought back down to the mean in the Bundesliga because the Bundesliga has very strict, structured, and to me, ideal rules about ownership. Um, but that also means that you can't go and solicit the kind of investment that Manchester City, PSG, Chelsea, uh, and uh, any number of clubs in Spain, even Valencia, um, ha- have gotten uh, if you're Bayern. You know, you're, you're stuck where you are. Um, but would I watch it? That's a very good question, Chris. I mean, I guess I would take my cue from other City fans. I, I think there are a lot of City fans who um, they're, they're, they're pleased to see Manchester City's name in these leagues alongside Bayern, Real Madrid, Barcelona, because that means in some ways our club has made it. But the flip side of it is we've never been enamored with European football. It's not what we grew up on. It's not the ethos of the club. Um, it's, it was cool the first couple of years to have Juventus and Real Madrid and Bayern come into the Etihad. But now it's like, eh, we'd rather win domestic trophies. We'd rather, you know, focus on on English football. So mm-hmm. that's a very good question. Now, as far as fans of other big clubs, Chris, I guess they'll split. 
and they'll 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 split from their domestic leagues and watch this. Um, but will fa- non fans of those clubs watch it? Um, I don't know. Or will fans of other clubs pick a big club to support, like they pick an NFL team? I, I don't think so. Yeah, I think they will. I, I mean, I, I'm against it, but from a TV perspective, I can see. Okay, so the the Champions League rights are up about 2021. Uh, the the Premier League uh, TV deal is up about 2022. So the timing of it could actually happen. Where you mean, once the new TV deal for the Champions League is. I mean, negotiated, and it's running from 2022 onwards, probably to 2025. Um, at that time, it's a good time, not, not a good time, but it, it's a good opportunity for the TV people and the leagues to actually do some deals where there is a European Super League that starts around about that time, which would diminish the, the Premier League uh, TV revenue and the UEFA Champions League revenue. And I could see, Kartik, I could see Fox coming in saying, hey, we want to get behind this. We want to have the rights to the European Super League. This, this, this leads in perfectly to the World Cup uh, in 2026. We want to build up their audience. Uh, yes, we've lost the Champions League. We've lost the Premier League. But we're back. We want to make a huge commitment. and We want to bring these viewers in, get them hooked on the best soccer from around the world, uh, around Europe, and have them, you mean, basically draw all this this new audience in so that by the time of 2026 World Cup, they are going crazy and, and ratings are through the roof. I can see that happening. Now, from a TV viewing perspective, I think the first season would be interesting. There'd be some competitive matches. Uh, but after that, you mean, with no relegation, you mean, yes, you have a, a title winner. Um, I think there is going to be like a group stage idea and, and then there's like a knockout stage idea. Uh, probably this, by the second season, we start to see, okay, well, this looks kind of a little bit predictable. By the third season, forget about it. It's going to be just, okay, it's the same teams pretty much <laughs> you know, yeah. win, winning it now. Uh, you mean Real Madrid wins it again for the third time in a row type of thing. So from a TV perspective, it, it would decline. Uh, having the guest clubs in freshens it up a little bit. But um, this guarantees for those 11 clubs... 20 years of a NFL system where they're not going to get relegated. Those, 20, those 11 teams are guaranteed for 20 years to be in this league. They're thinking long-term. From a TV perspective, I can see this working. Um, regrettably, I can see this working. And I can see people like Fox and I can see other broadcasters around the world saying, hey, we're going to get in on this because the fan bases for Real Madrid, Barcelona, Man United alone, just those three clubs... There's enough viewers there that uh, that they can sell advertising on, you mean, in sponsorships and all sorts of things. And uh, and Kartik, we have to remember that the whole thing that's driving this whole idea of a European Super League concept in the first place is the NFL. And that is um, the NFL owner, Stephen Ross, who is a billionaire who owns Relevant Sports. And it's uh, Charlie Stolitano, one of the relevant sports employees that's been driving this, has been having the the secret meetings in London with uh, the big clubs to try to make this a reality. So at the end of the day, this is the NFL or an NFL owner trying to change soccer, trying to change soccer as we know it and make it into more of a an American sports idea. This is the, the whole concept and the whole success of the NFL. has been a closed system. There's been a, a global league that's growing in popularity. That, I'm sure, uh, Stephen Ross, the owner of the 
Miami Dolphins looks at this and goes, okay, well, why can't soccer be like the NFL? Why can't we have a closed system? Why can't we have millions of fans from around the world um, and then millions of dollars of a, a global TV audience? Um, you mean all these different broadcasters paying top dollar to watch this European Super League? And I don't know. It looks like it's going to happen. And it's all driven really by the NFL philosophy. And we know um, for the longest time, those clubs have not necessarily been committed to uh, to growing their league. I mean, I, and I think that this is something we see all over Europe. I mean, our, our friend and colleague, you know, the esteemed Derek Gray has talked extensively in the past about Scottish football and how uh, the, the, the big clubs there, particularly Celtic, have not necessarily looked out for the best interests of Scottish football in general. Um, and I think that's the case with so many of these clubs. Uh, in, in the Premier League, there seemed to be a, a certain strength in numbers in terms of big clubs. Uh, and uh, and in, in some other leagues that are lower profile leagues, there might be some strength in, in, in parity. But um, in, in Germany, Spain and Italy in, in particular, uh, and in France now, sorry, there is a, there is a te- uh, tendency to want to break away uh, if you're – uh, PSG, if you're Bayern, and Bayern has the, the, the structural limitations because of Germany that we've talked about in terms of how much revenue they can bring in. Uh, so they're in the most um, needy shape of all these big clubs in terms of, of needing that NFL-styled closed league TV money uh, that they can bank on for 10 or 20 years. Um, yeah. and I don't know, Chris, the more you talk about it this morning, it's just it's alarming to me because you know I thought that the fan reaction, the, the subsequent outcry – when the football leaks first came uh, and their Spiegel and, and the Guardian published some of this stuff uh, w- would be an effective pushback. Now, as time has gone on, I've got, I've been distracted by the election, as, as we said, but I've, I've kept my finger on the pulse and uh, it's swinging back the other way. People saying, ah, you know, this is going to happen. This was always going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, we thought it might happen 10 years ago or 15 years ago. And uh, listening to you this morning, I think maybe it's an inevitability as, as uh, distasteful as it is for us that, that fell in love with football because of the community aspect of it and um, the real ethos uh, and culture around the sport. Um, maybe this is just a new reality we're going to have to adjust to, uh, however unpleasant it is. Yeah, and this is, even though it's a European Super League, in reality, it's a global league. And it's yeah, the same yeah. thing for the NFL. The NFL is an American league, but in reality, it's a global league. They're banking on people from you know, South America, from Africa, from Asia, tuning in just because of Neymar, tuning in to watch PSG, tuning in to watch uh, Aguero, or Gabriel Jesus. Or- and, and like the NFL taking now four games a season to London, which is yeah, a, yeah. a ridiculous amount, honestly. Which I can see um, that, I can see that will, too. They will take these games to China. They will take these games to North America. Right, to New York, for sure, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And the way things are heading, I see it. I see it happening. And, and it ca- could actually happen, Kartik, as early, possibly an agreement as early as next week. Uh, Soccer X is going to be in Miami. You're going to have all yes. of the, the leaders of, of the different leagues and uh, the different clubs in Miami all together. Okay. Um, so that could happen Chris, there. You, you and I are both registered to attend yep. Soccer X, obviously. Uh, next week at this time, we'll both be at the conference. Uh, I and blown away by the attendees list. Uh, there's been some talk in the industry that SoccerX as a, as a forum, as a venue, isn't as prominent as it was uh, a, a decade ago, uh, or particularly like seven to eight years ago. But uh, judging by the attendees list, everybody's coming. And um, I would not bet against some sort of preliminary agreement being hashed out, whether we learn about it next week or we learn about it well into the future yeah. uh, at this conference. So uh, we'll be on the ground there, both Chris and I, and we'll uh, – 
bring you all up to date on, on the developments one way or another. Yeah. And let's talk about FFP just for a minute. Uh, I, I know sometimes uh, the financial fair play system can be a little bit boring, but we do have a, um, a question from one of our listeners, actually some, some comments. This is John Average Geek. He says, the more I learn about FFP, the more I believe it's not about balance. It's about protecting and maintaining the power of a few. PSG and Manchester City challenged that system. Real reform would not would put regulations on the transfer market. Uh, any thoughts about that, Karthik? Also, being a Manchester City fan and all the revelations about um, City really kind of working behind the scenes with UEFA to uh, you, you mean, get around this whole FFP, um, you mean, kind of ban and, and just paying a penalty, kind of a slap on the wrist. FFP to me has always been a sham. It's been this thing that would that would lock in the hegemony of the Bayerns, of the Manchester United, the Juventus, the, the Real Madrid's. Um, on the Manchester City revelations, look, the Etihad thing, even as a Manchester City supporter, I have been screaming about for a year because I, I also follow the airline industry, as you know, Chris, yeah. and know the kind of financial shape Etihad is in. I have tweeted. You can go back and I know my timeline is filled with lots of assorted tweets on various subjects. But if you really scoured my timeline, you'd notice four or five times in the last 12 months I've talked about why isn't UEFA and, and uh, the American soccer press looking into this more closely because of the obviously the uh, Etihad sponsorship with Major League soccer which came presumably through city football group um and their investment in new york city fc and cricket no one has reacted to anything i've said about it uh and now that football leaks has revealed essentially the etihad sponsorship because etihad themselves do not have the resources to pay for this just as a point of background they've had to cut routes they've had to sell airplanes and they have also had to divest from several other outside uh, entities that they had put put you know they had invested uh, twenty or thirty uh, percent uh, bought twenty or thirty percent of the stock in those companies so they're in bad shape. It looks like that the Etihad sponsorship was actually paid for once those shortfalls falls began to occur with Etihad's revenue uh, by Manchester City itself just to kind of mask the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just think FFP in general has been a sham. It has been a deterrent um, to to try and prevent. Um, clubs from emerging uh, in, in, in a, in a uh, uh, and challenging the, 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 the top rung of European football. So the clubs that have actually been punished by FFP uh, in England, at least, have been QPR and Leicester. Mm-hmm. Now, um, Leicester was able to still, you know, kind of maybe violate FFP rules. I, I know there are people who still they, they poo-poo Leicester's accomplishment and say, oh, well, they were violating the rules. Well, there was no way for them in, in their state to, to win a Premier League title to compete with Chelsea and Manchester City and Manchester United and Arsenal without you know, flaunting the rules a little bit because this, this system was designed to lock in a hegemony of top clubs. Just like, so now if, 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 if the system is, is not working to lock in that hegemony, those clubs will just leave and uh, create their own Super League. I guess that's the, the lesson of all of this. So uh, they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna take, their, uh, take their toys and go play somewhere else if uh, – uh, if uh, FFP t- proves to be toothless, which it has, um, look, I think the 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 uh, uh, bottom line on all of this, Chris, for our listeners, is the the power and petulance of the big football clubs in Europe. 
That's the that's yeah. the takeaway from all of it. And it's gotten out of ha- got out of and hand. It's gotten out of hand. And yes. it's going to get even more out of hand. So so just one more thing about this though, Kartik, is that La Liga president uh, Javier Tabas came out this week to criticize UEFA for the way they've bent the rules to allow PSG and Man City to continue particip- participating in the Champions League despite uh, breaking financial fair play rules. By doing so, uh, Tabas has caused a further wedge in La Liga's relationship with B in Sports since BN is owned by the same institution that owns PSG. He was, right. a- he was asked about the potential of upsetting uh, BN Sports and driving a wedge or a rift between BN Sports uh, and PSG and um, it, it, with all the criticism of, of UEFA and, and uh, PSG breaking the rules. Tibas responded in the New York Times. He said, if BN Sports are not willing to buy La Liga rights, then we'll go someplace else to sell them. Which again, we, we know that that's going to happen anyway, but uh, he's kind of just saying that, uh, yeah, this, this PSG thing, he's criticizing PSG, which at the same time when he's criticizing PSG, he's criticizing being sports because they're owned by the same, the same institution. Right. I take this move on and we've got uh, just one more news item, just uh, a big game this weekend that's going to be on US TV. Yeah, so it's the Copa Libertadores final, uh, which I, I think everybody is uh, excited about uh, because it's Boca River. <laughs> it's gonna be it's gonna be quite a spectacle. It'll be on Fox Deportes and Fanatis, uh, which has been a great source for South American soccer in general. Yeah, so that's uh, Saturday, November tenth. The kickoff is three p.m. on uh, Fanatis, which is a free trial. And Fox Deportes on television, uh, which you can also get through Fubo. And that's the first leg. The second leg is going to be on November 24th. Uh, the Saturday's game is at La Bombonera, uh, Bo- Boca, uh, playing at home. And then the second game at uh, Estadio Mon- Monumental. And uh, that should be a fantastic game, too. Moving on to TV ratings, uh, we will have the full list at worldsoccertalk.com. Just a few to throw out there. Uh, Arsenal against Liverpool on Saturday on NBC. Uh, 874,000 viewers on the English language side. Uh, we don't have the uh, Spanish language side yet, so maybe that went over a million. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, from the Major League Soccer uh, playoff games, uh, MLS Cup playoff games, Columbus against New York Red Bulls on ESPN, uh, 257,000 viewers. Then we had uh, Portland-Seattle on Sunday on ESPN, 323,000 viewers. Again, Kartik, ESPN does well with Major League Soccer. And then FS1 had, um, what did they have? They had the Real Salt Lake against Sporting KC game on Sunday on FS1. That one had 145,000 viewers. Uh, but they did have the NYC FC Atlanta game on Sunday on FS1 and at 225. So better there. But uh, overall for October... Uh, it was a tough month for Major League Soccer. Uh, out of the top 25 most-watched games, most-watched soccer games in October, only one Major League Soccer game registered in that top 25, and that was at number 24, and that was a game that was televised on Univision, not ESPN, nor FS1. Moving on to the mailbag, we have Mitch Carr. He says, uh, I'm a new listener as of August. I love the podcast. My personal thoughts on BR Live and especially their halftime is that they're just trying to cram too much in. They'd benefit greatly from simplifying things. Uh, they might as well not run highlights. Yeah, and it's still caught I haven't done a timer yet, but those halftime shows are so short. <laughs> they seem so much shorter than Fox's. Um, it just it's just commercial 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 come back for like maybe 30 seconds then go back to commercials it's it's really jam-packed uh, and, and i agree with mitch it is sometimes too much to cram in 
NPB. Yeah. N, uh, I'm sorry. NPOB Sports on Twitter says, listening now on the 44 minute mark on last week's podcast, the BR guy was a bore and added nothing of interest for anyone listening to become interested in watching. Um, MLS viewing facts. Uh, thank you. La Liga fighting this Miami game is short sighted. Um, FIFA to block this game. Sure. Uh, then enforce pro- promotion relegation. Julian Palmer says uh, the interest on Neymar's tattoos. LA is where it's at. He was indeed inter- he was indeed terrible. It won't be long and not soon enough uh, until UEFA Champions League rights go to someone else. Ben says uh, it's the Instagram influencer angle they're going for. The true football nuts aren't interested in that. And then last but not least, uh, Tim Keane says, I just saw Neil Ashton's segment on NBC about the Super League. By the way, I always find this segment very interesting and I find his opinions very informative. He mentioned nowhere in all of the discussions have the fans been thought about. Full disclosure, I'm a Watford fan and I think that if I had to make a choice between watching Watford in the Premier League without the Super Clubs and the Super League, no contest. Vicarage Road every time. I think we, we enjoy many Champions League games because they do create some great matchups after the group stage, but that's because we don't see them on a regular basis. And that's, that's a perfect, uh, perfect uh, answer to that, Kartik. I, I completely agree 100% with uh, Tim Keane. Yep. So, so you can always reach us via email if you have any questions, feedback, rants, raves, want some advice. Uh, or get some of our thoughts on the TV industry or streaming industry, uh, you can reach us through email, and that's uh, web at worldsoccertalk.com, as well as on Facebook, facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk, and on Twitter at worldsoccertalk. Plus, of course, you can always uh, post comments on worldsoccertalk.com. Kartik, where can they find you on Twitter? KKFLA737. I'll let you have you this week, but uh, a healthy dose of football, and it'll obviously, once uh, our recounts in Florida are complete, it'll shift back to being mostly soccer uh, related. That's good news. <laughs> uh, for me, not being very political, but that's, that's good news. But all right, guys. Well, thank you for listening. You can get a new episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast every Thursday. Every episode is released on SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, AudioBoom, and WorldSoccerTalk.com. If you like the show, share it with your friends on social media and give us a review on iTunes. We'd greatly appreciate it. And Kartik, with a big weekend, you got the Manchester City Derby, well, Manchester Derby. You've got uh, Copa Libertadores final. You've got uh, MLS Cup playoffs. You've got Premier League matches. Uh, you name it. Uh, what should they do? Enjoy your football. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.